0: We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to cover quite a bit, Exodus 2, 3, and 4. Am I on? Yes. All right. Exodus 2, 3, and 4. And so a lot of ground to cover. We're going to see the calling of Moses. The calling of Moses. And in that, there are four points I want us to look at, which for you note takers out there, this will be easy to remember. It's got God sees, saves, sends, supplies, all with us. See, sends, saves, supplies. It's a little bit of a tongue twister if you try to say it fast. But those are four points, and, and I don't know how familiar everyone is with the book of Exodus, so I just kind of want to give us a little bit of context before we jump into the middle of this passage. Uh, So far in Exodus, we have God's people, the Israelites. They're in Egypt and enslaved for 400 years. They're enslaved by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh makes a law that he is going to kill all of the Hebrew male babies because they're starting to grow in population. He's worried about them revolting. So he makes this law. There's some brave midwives who then are saving Hebrew male babies. And one of those male babies is Moses. And so Moses actually ends up getting adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and is raised in Pharaoh's household, which is a little bit of irony there, I think, by the Lord in doing this. But when Moses then grows up, around 40 years old, he goes out to his people, the Israelites. He sees an Egyptian taskmaster, abusing one of his people. So he intervenes, ends up killing the Egyptian slave master. Then people find out about it. He gets scared that Pharaoh's going to kill him. And so he flees out into the wilderness where he then ends up meeting a wife, becomes a shepherd, starts a family. And so Moses is out in the wilderness, starting his family God's people are still enslaved in Egypt, and that is where we're going to pick it up. In chapter 2, verse 23, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So I want to stop there. As I said, Moses is living out in the wilderness with his family, and you have God's people. It says they're groaning. Uh, The definition for that, it says it's a nonverbal, guttural noise of great physical pain and suffering. I'm sure we've all experienced this groaning at times in our lives. In this fallen world, you will face a time when you can't really put in the words the agony you feel. But it's this this agonizing, guttural noise that comes. And part of the good news of this text, and really the whole Bible, is the first point that God sees our groaning. A few weeks ago, I watched the uh, new Thor movie by Marvel movie. Any Marvel fans in here this morning? A few? All right. Did you guys like it? No? All right. Good to know. Do not watch the new Thor movie. But in the beginning of that movie, there's a father and a daughter, and they're out in the wilderness, and the daughter is close to death. She, they're starving, they're dehydrated, and the dad starts crying out to his God. And there's no answer, and the daughter dies, and the father wanders upon this little oasis in the desert, and he, he meets his quote-unquote God. And he finds this God indulging in food and drink, and, and he says, I've cried out to you, where have you been? And the God doesn't care that the guy's been crying out to him. He doesn't care what happens to his people. And the message that's teaching is God doesn't see you, hear you, or care about you. And when I watched that, I actually rejoiced in my heart. Because I thought, that's not our God. That's not our God. Our God is a seeing God. Our God's a hearing God. Our God is one who cares for us. He's not a distant deity who's just some big spirit in the sky and doesn't know what's going on. He knows, and he hears, and he sees. One verse I often use to minister to myself and others in, in times of agony is Psalm 56.8. It says, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And what I enjoy about that verse, it it speaks of the intimate attentiveness of our God. He's like the watchful parent when the child is struggling to sleep and he stays by the bedside all night and watches every toss and turn. He knows every tear we've spilled In our lives. He sees us. And he not only sees us, but he hears our groanings, our prayers. It also says that God remembered his covenant. Now, sometimes we can learn more from the Bible about what it doesn't say than what it does say. Aren't you glad that it says, and God, or aren't you glad that it doesn't say, And God remembered their sins. It doesn't say that. That would be terrible news if that's what the Bible said. That when the Israelites cried out to God because of their pain and suffering, and it says, and God remembered their sins, so he didn't help. That's not what it says. It says, God remembered his covenant, his promise, his steadfast love, that he would be their God. And so it says then that God knew, which is a kind of an odd phrase, right? It's not like God forgets or he can't see, but God knew. For those of you who are Narnian fans, C.S. Lewis, he's saying that Aslan's on the move, that God is beginning to pick up the pace in what he's about to do in delivering them. And so let's, let's keep reading here. We're in the beginning of chapter 3 now. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, or to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. What a sight. We have there in verse 2, it tells us an angel of the Lord came into this bush here. But then in verse 4, it says that God called out to Moses. And so, angel just means a messenger. Of the Lord. And so some people would say this is just an angel, but it's so closely connected to God that it speaks on behalf of God. Others have said this is the pre incarnate Jesus. Some have said this is God Almighty, which they would call the scene here uh, what they call a theophany. It means it's a, it's a visible manifestation of the invisible God. But wherever we land, the point is Moses is in the presence of holiness. And God is speaking to them. And we come to our second point here. We saw it there in verse 7 when he said, I have heard their cry because they are taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them. The God who sees is the God who saves. God saves. He delivers us. He frees us. And the deliverance we see here in Exodus is a shadow of the deliverance we experience in the New Testament and the way that God frees us, for we are enslaved by our sins. I've shared with you here before about my past former life when I was enslaved by my sins, enslaved to the drug and partying and debauchery lifestyle. And all of us here who have been saved by Christ have something that we were saved from, that Jesus frees us. We're not under the power of Pharaoh, but Ephesians 2 talks about how we at one time were under the prince of the power of the air, and God looked upon our helpless state and remembered his covenant with us, that he has promised to sin one who would free us, a greater Moses, God the Father sends the Son, the Jesus, to free us. And Jesus goes to the cross, sheds his blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus shed his blood so that our sins can be forgiven. He died the death so that death can be conquered. He rose from the grave. And something that is even better than God leads his people to the promised land flowing with milk and honey that we read about, but God is leading us. To a far greater promised land. Amen. Something is far greater than a land flowing with milk and honey. We get to go to the promised land where we dwell with God. We'll see his face. This curse of the fallen world is forever gone. There'll be no more funerals and glory. Amen. Forever gone. No more sin towards one another. Forever gone. We'll be able to dwell with God for all of eternity. And when we woke up this morning, we're one day closer to that day. When we can dwell together forever. And if you're here today and you've never called upon the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. The call upon the Lord Jesus Christ that he would save you. That he would free you. There's no reason to hide from the Lord or to think that he can't save you. This is one of the beauties of the Bible is you never can out-sin God's grace. It doesn't matter what you've done. He is gracious, and he will pour out his grace upon you. It doesn't matter if you've lied, cheated, immorality of any kind. He will save you but you must call upon him because he is the deliverer. Church, we can't be saved because we've done good works. You're not saved or born into the family of God because your parents are Christians or because all your siblings are Christians. We can't be saved because we've gone to church our whole lives. We're saved only by faith in Jesus Christ, and he is the one who saves. And that is why we have great hope and why we can rejoice here this morning. The God who sees is the God who saves. And the God who saves is the God who sins. That's in verse 10. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Good night. Would you not want to see Moses' face when God said that to him? Like, you want me to go back to Pharaoh, who at that time was the most powerful person on the earth, with the most powerful army, where I'm wanted for murder. You want me to go back there and tell him, hey, Let all of your free labor go. Excuse me? It's an impossible task. But that is how God operates throughout the scriptures. It would be foolish of me to stand here before you this morning and say that our God is a sending God if this was the only verse in the Bible that talked about how God sins. Because I realize this is a specific situation, that he's talking to Moses to free his people from slavery. But we have this truth all over the Bible. Probably the most famous is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, where Jesus says to his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. We are a going people. We're commanded to go. It may be a person in your own house. It may be a person on the other side of the world. But either way, we go. We go. Another verse that probably doesn't get thought of as a going is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. I love that word, workmanship. It means masterpiece. We are his masterpieces. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should go to them. God has prepared good works for us to walk in. And this just, when I think about this, this creates all in me that he's like, hey, come take a part in my kingdom-building work. How many of you have ever cleaned up with little ones in the house? (laughs) So this may or may not have happened, but you ask them to help you clean the kitchen, and you say, hey, can you take the flour and put it on the table over there? And so they grab the flour, and then they drop it all over the floor, and you're like, it's all right. Just let me go get the vacuum. You go get the vacuum, and in the meantime, they want to help, so they're like, "Oh, I'll get the paper towels." They grab a the roll of paper towels, spill the cup of the milk, and then unroll half the paper towels all over the floor. And you come back, and you're like, "I was gone ten seconds. What did you do?" Church, that's what it's like when God says, "Come, take a part in my kingdom building work." I feel like I make a mess more than I help, but yet God still says, "Come." Come, take a part in my kingdom-building work. He invites us in. And it's exciting because this work lasts for all of eternity. I can't think of any greater work to give yourself to. There's no higher purpose than this. We're, We're proclaiming truth that will actually help people leave the kingdom of darkness and be transferred to the kingdom of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Is that not a weighty task that he gives us? Why does he give us such a weighty task? And yet, this is what he calls us to. If you're saved, you're sent. It may not be overseas. It may not be out of this area. But we're sent somewhere to do good works. At my church in Gridley, we have a mom's group that meets on Wednesday mornings. And during that mom's group, it's mainly for young moms. But during that time, we need childcare workers. And so we have some older moms who help out, watch the children and stuff. And typically, you know, childcare workers, they don't get thought of a whole lot. But when you think about it, those childcare workers are sacrificing their time and watching the kids so that these young moms can then take part in a study where their faith is being built, which is then going to transform the way they parent their own kids and teach them about the ways of the Lord. And then those kids are going to be brought up in the Lord to where they'll have a ripple effect upon all the people they meet and share about Christ. And then that continues on for generations. And you don't think about the one who's watching the children so that the mom can be a part of the study. But they're going to the good works that was prepared for them. And it's going to have an eternal effect there. And that is exciting work. In 2 Corinthians 5, God calls us, he gives us a title here that is just, it's astounding when you think about it. He calls us his ambassadors. (laughs) Like, like, If I'm an ambassador in a different country for the president, that's a pretty high privilege, right? I speak on behalf of the president. And the king of kings and lord of lords calls us his ambassadors? Oh. It's crazy. But it's what it says. The God who sees is the God who saves. The God who saves is the God who sins. And what I want us to see now is how Moses responds to this weighty task. Because I think this is where a lot of us will resonate with Moses. But he says in verse 10, God gives him the command. He says, come, I will send you the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Just a quick side point. Notice the sign is not something that Moses is going to see until he walks by faith. Now that, that will be a whole sermon maybe Eric can preach sometime because that will preach, but Let's keep going. That's not my point. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is, he's playing the scene out in his head. He's like, what's it going to be like when I go back to my people? And verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then the rest of chapter 3, God tells Moses, he's like, this is the game plan. This is what's going to happen how you're going to free my people. And then we're going to jump down the verse or chapter 4, verse 1. Stick with me here. Then Moses answered, "But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you." So Moses hears the game plan. And he's like, that's not going to happen. It's not going to work, Lord. I love it when people argue with the Lord about what's going to work and what's not. So Moses, he, he does not fully trust the Lord here. But then the Lord tells him, like, throw your staff down. And it turns into a snake, and then he tells him to pick it up by the tail. Which at that point, how many of us would be like, I'm out. I'm done, Lord. I do not pick up snakes by the tail. You crush your head if you see a snake. I do not pick them up. But anyways... Let's keep going here. Verse 10 of chapter 4. This is Moses' response. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Don't you love how real the Bible is? (laughs) Moses does not want to do this. And he's like, Lord, just send someone else. I I can't speak the way I need to speak. This is the part that has ministered to me so much. Because as a kid, I I took years of speech class. Like, I have trouble pronouncing words. I know I'm really smooth up here this morning. (laughs) But I have trouble pronouncing words. It's hard for me to do that. I couldn't say the word peculiar until I was like 27 years old. Like, it's hard. It's hard. And I, f- I resonate with Moses in saying, like, I'm slow of speech. But yet, the Lord called me to read, teach, preach. And it's crazy what the Lord calls us to. At times, it's not going to make sense. But yet, he calls us to impossible task so that his glory Is seen all the more. The God who sees is the God who saves. The God who saves is the God who sins. The God who sins is the God who will supply. And this is what Moses was struggling to believe. It's what we all struggle to believe at times. God, are you going to be enough? Are you going to supply what we need to accomplish the task you've called us to? Back in verse 11, when Moses responded, chapter 3, verse 11, when Moses responded, who am I? Again, notice, God God doesn't really answer Moses' question. He doesn't say, but Moses, I raised you in Pharaoh's household. You're the only one who knows the workings of the Egyptian household. There's no one else. Come on, you have all the ability to get this done. God doesn't say that at all. He says, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I am with you. I'm with you. It doesn't matter if you have an army or a million, gazillion, bazillion dollars. The Lord is with you. And when Moses says, well, who are you? God then says to him, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers. And so this is a huge turning point in the Bible where God's revealing more of himself to Moses and to the rest of us. When he says, tell them, I am has sent you, that probably causes more questions than answers for us. But that word, I am, it's based on the Hebrew verb, to be. So a good translation would be, I be who I be, which is kind of fun to say, but a little weird too, right? I be who I be. And then when you see Lord in caps locks there, all capital letters, it's Yahweh. And so what God is saying is, you can't put me in a box. When he's asking for a name, he's like, what do you like? And he's like, I will be what I'll be. I am outside of your box, Moses. He is the self-existent and self-sufficient God. There could be nothing in all of the universe, and God would still blaze in all of his glory. Without end. He is eternal. There is no beginning and no end to God. He is immutable. He's the same God that talked to Moses, the same God we worship today, and he'll be the same 10 million years from now. This becomes the most prevalent name that God uses throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Over 6,000 times, Yahweh here is referenced, the great I Am. And what God is telling Moses and us today Is that I am, the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, never-changing, all-powerful one, is with us. It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. What matters is who's with you. And what's staggering is when Jesus comes onto the scene in John chapter 8, and he says, before Abraham was, I am, they pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Why? Because Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh. I am the God of the Old Testament. People sometimes claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. That's false. Jesus knew he was God, he claimed it. And so let's bring this down to us here this morning. Church, do you feel like God's called you to an impossible task? Maybe it's going overseas or across the street or someone in your own family to witness to them about Jesus. Maybe it's to start a new ministry or maybe it can be to forgive someone who has wronged you. Maybe it can be to stay in that really, really, really hard marriage. Maybe it's to continue the love and persevere and show hope And that child who wants nothing to do with the Lord or your faith. Maybe you're a single parent. Or maybe you're in a home where you feel like the single parent and you just want to be done. Maybe it's to continue the care for someone with an illness or for an aging parent. Maybe it's to call the holiness or sexual purity, and you feel like you're never going to get that. Or maybe the Lord is calling you to get baptized. That is one of the first commands the Lord gives us if you're a new follower of Jesus Christ, to get baptized. Oftentimes, I'll hear, especially in our youth group, kids that have thought about getting baptized, they'll just say, well, I don't want to do that. I'll say, that's not off to a great start of following the Lord. If we're going to call Jesus Christ Lord, that means we've relinquished control. That he tells us what to do. That even when we don't necessarily feel like it, we say, Lord, I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. You're my Lord. My youngest daughter, she's a... Somewhat of a stage five clinger. She loves mom and dad, which I appreciate, but sometimes a little bit too much. And at our house, we have this hallway that to get to her bedroom and our bedroom that she has to walk down. It's a longer hallway. And she just does not like to go down that hallway, really. But something that can be annoying, but I've realized is good truth is she'll walk down that hallway when I grab her hand. And the great spiritual truth there is, we're willing to walk into the unknown, to the darkness, to things that may be a little scary when we realize the Father's with us. The great I am is with us. Remember, He said that he's never to forsake us or leave us. A paraphrase of Romans chapter 8 says that if God did not spare his son, will he not also graciously give us all things? That is a promise that he will supply everything we need to what he's calling us to. There's nothing that God has called us to that he will not supply for. And we can trust in him. Don't you want to be a church that just walks boldly with that promise? Like it gives you a little pep in your step, a confidence, an assurance. And even when we feel like we're not equipped for the task, when we're like, I am not eloquent, I am slow of speech, Lord. Remember, it's not about how gifted we are. It's about how awesome he is. And we can remember the great I am is with us. So the God who sees is the God who saves. The God who saves is the God who sins. And the God who sins is the God who supplies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the almighty, the great I am. And Lord, as we sung this morning, we are grateful that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. I thank you, Lord, that you saved us from whatever sins we were enslaved in. And that you continue to save us when we continue to want to go back to slavery. Father, I pray that you would remind us often of your presence that we would not wander so quickly, but that we would be close to you in step with your spirit. And that you would call us, Lord, that you would show us the different tasks that you've called us to and empower us for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.